What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to episode number 95 of the Marine Layer podcast. The Mariners sign reliever Austin Voth. The Marlins are also making everyone reportedly available for trade. Could that lead to a Mariners trade for Luis Arise or others? We'll investigate. Here's your reminder before we start the show. If you're listening, make sure to download our episodes, leave us that five-star review, and follow the show wherever you listen to your audio podcasts. Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube. That's where the full video pod is. And follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube Shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Wednesday evening, January 17th. And I feel like, Lyle, every time a Mariner or recent ex-Mariner goes on foul territory, the timing always works out where we just have to sit down and talk about it. Yeah, whether it's Paul Sewald, whether it's Cal Raleigh, whether it's now... My personal favorite, Jared Kelnick. Somebody's always cooking something up, aren't they? Today, though, I was expecting a little bit more out of Jared, and I came away from it with it was just kind of a giant nothing burger of the the, the flashy quotes he had out there. I think the one that stuck out the most to people were was, "Hey, uh, like I didn't like that Jerry a made the the Babe Ruth comment." in the middle of the season and the 54% comment at the end of the season, it's like just kind of drawing unwanted attention onto the team. And, and then there were the people that would get in the replies of Jared and be like, Hey, Jared, buddy, uh, if we're talking about unwanted attention on the team, uh, you, did he seem more upbeat in that interview to you? He seemed pretty on brand too. He was doing the thing where they would ask him the question and be like, yeah, and then he'd kind of look up at the ceiling and not not really make eye contact. I mean, he'd kind of talk in regular Jared tone. So maybe I'm wrong. I, I thought he might have sounded a little more upbeat, and I started to think to myself, well, maybe he's just really excited to be an Atlanta Brave and get a fresh start. But well, I think that part's true. Yeah. Now, again, I could be totally wrong, and he could have sounded no different than he usually does. I just thought maybe... Somewhere in that tone of voice, listening to him talk with the guys on Battle Territory, that he might have just had a little bit of extra pep in his step. And I don't know if that has to do with him being a brave or not, but just got me thinking. I think there is an extra pep in his step. He might not, maybe his vocal cords don't emulate that he has an extra pep in his step, but I think we covered everything everyone else needed to know about how excited Jared Kelnick was that he's not in Seattle anymore and that he's an Atlanta Brave. That's that's pretty set in stone. I was I will say I was expecting a little bit more from Jared, but again, it was just kind of a kind of a nothing burger. Like everything he said about Jerry is like essentially like no shit. Like <laughs> we've covered this already. It's it's been long said by everybody else. Mm hmm. Yeah. So thank you, Jared. Thank you uh, for supplementing content. And friend of the program, Scott Braun, keeps delivering for us. Let's go, Scott. 
He really does. He's he's rattling off all these Mariners, not just interviews, but quotable, quotable takeaways. I'm sure this would be something also we'd talk more about if Jared was uh, still a Mariner. Unfortunately, he's an Atlanta Brave now and no longer uh, a significant part. Unfortunately to you, dog, I know it breaks your heart for me to have to say these words to you, but Jared Kelnick is no longer a significant part of our future. Unfortunately, he's not. And, so. and you know what? You know how I respond to that? Thank you very much, Evan White. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Evan White. Even though I'm being sarcastic, because as you said, that contract may or may not have lost them Jared Kelnick. People can think whatever they want about that, that take of ours. I'm standing by it. You're standing by it. When we talked to Stacey about it, she seemed to be on board with it. That yes, I believe that. If that contract for Evan White had not been given out, they still may very well have Kelnick right now. But hey, financial flexibility or Jared Kelnick? Hmm? Uh, hmm? You know what my choice is. Unfortunately, hmm. I'm not the ownership group. Hmm. Yeah, I know. You're a big financial flexibility guy. I get it. I get it. Yeah, That's okay. yeah. yeah. I missed you, okay. Jared. <laughs> Let's get into the first part of this show today. And the Mariners made a signing today. Jerry DePoto is just stockpiling bullpen arms. He signed Austin Voth. He's going to come into spring training. Shannon Dreher reported in her notebook on Seattle Sports that Austin Voth's going to come into spring training and they're going to stretch him out like a starter. And he's, I'm going to, I guess, be kind of like Anthony Desclafani of what they think of Desclafani right now. And then as the season gets closer, I, they're going to shorten him up a little bit. So he kind of sounds like a swingman. He's been a swingman in his career. He started in a bunch in 2022. In 2023, he pitched primarily out of the bullpen, missed two months with elbow issues before he got shut down and got released uh, off of the Orioles roster. So uh, there's some things about here. He's got a 142 stuff plus slider there, dog. Uh, What else do you like about him? Well, he has four pitches. How often and effective all those four pitches will be is TBD. It's been up and down in his career. But when you just look at baseball savant now, Savant may not totally differentiate slider versus curveball, but when you look at the category curveball spin amongst his Savant bubbles and amongst uh, throughout his career, his spin rate on his curveball pops. And it's, I don't want to say off the charts, but it's very, very noticeable. If you want the actual breakdown of it, it was in the 94th percentile or higher the last three years. When you're talking about the spin rate on his curveball. So if I were to guess, if I'm the Mariners, because let, let's, let's keep in mind, when the Mariners sign bullpen arms, they have earned the right to garner fans' attention. If they are signing somebody, especially to a big league deal like they just did with both, there's probably a reason. And when you look at both numbers, you just want to go on baseball reference and say, oh, his ERA is not that great. I would encourage you to look further because that's what happened with Justin Topa. That's what happened with Gabe Spire. That's what happened with Taylor Saucedo, with Paul Sewall. The list goes on and on and on. So what do we do? We look a little further with both. And the thing that stands out is the spin rate on what is either his curveball or slider. Baseball savant categorizes, categorizes it as his curveball. So that says to me, that is probably what's jumping off the page to them. And if they think that can really play up, well, then they probably think it can be a valuable member of this bullpen in some way, shape, or form. Fangraphs puzzles me, to be honest. It really does, because I think they're classifying his slider as what baseball savant classifies as his curveball. Two and two don't match up here, because his curve spin, according to baseball savant, is elite. 
his stuff plus on his curveball is 69 on Fangraphs. And just for some context, if you forgot what stuff plus is, 100 is league average. It's kind of like WRC plus. The lower is worse, higher is better. So that's 31% below league average for a curveball, quote unquote, stuff. Uh, that's kind of weird. I mean, if you were to have a 97th percentile spin, that's not going to equal 31% below league average. It doesn't even matter where you throw the, the ball. It's just physics simply would not allow that. Like this, we're back in physics class. Do you pay attention to physics? No, I actually, I know the answer to that question. No, you Absolutely did not. Absolutely not. No, not only I, does not only does everybody know I just despise taking high school classes. I think science was my worst subject too. Like, if mm-hmm. you want to pinpoint what, like, pick your poison of subjects I just either didn't care about or just was not good at. Oh, science takes the cake. So no, that that's really puzzling. Regardless, one of his pitches that spins a lot and breaks down is really good. We'll just leave it at that. It is. So we'll we'll say we'll say one of his breaking balls is very sure. good. He has a very good breaking ball. Yes, it is up to the Mariners to decide what that is because baseball savant also classifies that he has a sweeper and a curveball. <laughs> so both those pitches, results wise, this past season were not that good. Uh, both got hit around a little bit. He threw his curveball nearly thirty percent of the time. Sweeper a little bit less. Curveball is a pitch he relied upon a little bit more. It was overall, though, a struggle season for him. He had an ERA over five with the with the Orioles. He has the injury issues uh, as well. So it's not like a sure thing. He's only making a million dollars. This only bumps the Mariners payroll up to about $118.5 million. By the way, <clears throat> still leaves them with plenty of room to go make more, in fact, significant moves to conclude this offseason. But I digress. That's not the point of this segment. He is a Seattle guy as well. That probably helped him come back home. He pitched for Kentwood High School as a former fifth-round pick out of UW. So he adds to a list of about 11 or 12 guys that the Mariners are going to bring in to spring training as either starter depth or the last couple spots in that bullpen. I mean, there's a lot of intriguing, exciting arms in that group that they're going to bring in, and they're going to let them all pitch during spring training, and the Mariners realize, hey, we tinker something here, we tinker something there. If we can get Let's say we get seven of these guys looking like they could contribute to a big league roster. So when the attrition starts to come in spring training and guys get hurt, the Mariners have pieces to trade off out of their essentially scrap heap of guys they have signed. So like, I like that strategy, especially if they can get both Voth, Voth, no, both, both, both. I got it. I, I had it. I had it. And then I thought, oh, it's like Hoth in Star Wars. Voth. Once both, uh, if they if they stretch him out, let's say three quarters of the way through spring training, and he's stretched out and ready to go, and someone has a starter go down, the Mariners all of a sudden have two arms. They'd be like, "Sure, you want him? We'll take something True. back. Why not? We have two starters that are ready to go, not including Emerson Hancock, not including the other two young arms in the rotation. Why don't you take Austin Voth, take Anthony Descalfani, and they have those options to trade as well if they don't get traded before then." Yeah, they do. And again, doubt both really start significant games for the Mariners. And if he stays around long term, he'd probably pitch in the bullpen. And if he pitches in the bullpen, it's like we say, pay attention when the Mariners sign these arms because there's something they really like. I'm guessing with both, it is that breaking ball of his, whether it's a curveball or slider. Like TJ said, the Mariners can determine that themselves. But one of those pitches is really, really good. I think it's fair to say, I was thinking about this more today, and I texted you about it earlier. I'm going to amend what I said in my text a little bit. I thought there was six or so bullpen spots that are absolutely secure. I think there's five. 
I think there's five absolutely secure bullpen spots. Andres Munoz, Matt Brash, Justin Topa, and then the two lefties with Spire and Saucedo. I think those five are locked in. They will be in the bullpen barring injury to begin 2024. The other three spots, it's going to be a fight in spring training. You know, Prelander Barrow is going to be in the mix. Ty Adcock will be in the mix. Austin Voth will be in the mix. Ty Buttry will be in the mix, who they just picked up recently, and a few others. Um, Edward Bizzardo is another. There will be guys in that mix. Juan Ten. So there's going to be a lot of battle for those last couple of spots. It's going to be fun. I love yeah. spring training battles. We're getting close. We are getting close. We yeah. will be there in a little over a month and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. we, we've had a couple of people ask, oh, are you guys going to get down to spring training at all? When we have our confirmed, confirmed dates, we can put it on here. We'll put it on our social channels in case anybody else is there. But we should be there around the first week of March down in Arizona. So if you're a yeah. Mariners fan, you're going to be down in Peoria in Arizona in the first week of March. Let us know. What do we always say? We love to meet up with people. We love to talk to people. So if you're going to be there, tell us. And when we have our official, official dates, we will update you on here. And I'm sure we'll put it on our social channels too. Exciting. I- I'm excited. We were talking about it before. I mean, I think we're both really excited about it. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be good. We're, we're planning some fun stuff, so it's going to be good. And maybe, uh, Austin Voth can tell us about his uh, his breaking ball and classify which one it is. Austin, yeah. man, we're uh, we're confused. We need you to clarify something for us. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm kind of confused about something. I'll tell you what that is in just a second here, because before we do that, let's pause to talk about our friends from Pagacha's Pub 85. That's Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland, where we love to hang out. It's a great spot over in Kirkland to go hang out with your friends. Eat some great food. They have some awesome pizza and a full drink menu. If you head over during happy hour, there's happy hour specials too. They're Monday through Friday from 2 to 6 p.m. that feature $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, $4 House Wines. And oh, by the way, you want to watch some games too? There's 22 TVs in that place. So you will not have a shortage of television screens to go watch some sporting events. And there's a pool table in there too. It's a bunch of fun. We love hanging out there. So if you're around, and you can go get over to Pagacha's Pub 85. Go do so. That's Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Okay, I'll tell you what I'm confused about. Why is a team that just made the playoffs a few short months ago putting nearly every single player on their roster on the trading block? That would be the Miami Marlins. I think you already know the answer to your question. I mean, this is a team, this is a franchise that since they birthed in the mid-90s, has always done this. This is what they do. This is how they exist. They're the Oakland A's with nicer weather. You're not totally wrong. I'm not going to say they're the current iteration of the Oakland A's, but if you think of the way the A's have been structured until 2022, when they were competitive and in wild card hunts with teams with teams featuring players that were not on crazy expensive deals yet that were still really good. Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, guys like that as recently as the late 2010s and early 2020s. Yeah, it's kind of what the Marlins are. They've got some good players on their roster. They had good guys on the roster last year. They just never seem to keep any of them around. And what report came out this week? It was reported. The Marlins are willing to listen to offers on every guy on their team except for Yuri Perez. Yuri Perez, 20, 21-year-old starter, right-hander. He's absolutely electric. I wouldn't trade him either if I were them. 
But everybody else, they said they will at least listen to offers. And that includes Mr. Batting Champion himself, Louisa Rise. How do you not, if you're the Mariners, pick up the phone and make make a call to, to the Miami Marlins for Luis Arise? How do you not, if he's available? Well, why not? To. You can give the Marlins back exactly what they lost trading for him last season. You want a starter? Okay. We'll give you a starter for two years of Luis Arise. Check. It's two? Yeah. Does he have two years? Yeah, two. he has two years. Cool. Two years of Luis Arise? Sold. All right. We'll give you a starter. You guys traded Pablo Lopez last season. He was amazing for the Twins. You really could have used him in ro- your rotation last year. Well, okay. We'll give you one back. You can have six years of control of someone if that's what the price is. It could be less, but they did have to give up a haul to get him in the first place. I mean, Pablo Lopez was. He had four seasons. He had pitched in parts of four seasons before the before the uh, the Marlins traded him. Like that's that's a pretty significant price of a, a, not only a young pitcher but a young proven pitcher as well for Luis Arise. And it turned out to work to work out great because Luis Arise was awesome for the Marlins last season. It makes too much sense. It makes it 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 makes it it it, it solves so many issues for the Mariners offseason if you put Luis Arise in this lineup. If you pencil Luisa Rise into that number one spot, everyone's happy. Does that all of a sudden mean they could still go sign Blake Snell too, where you trade one of the young arms, get a rise, and replace him with Snell? So how would the finances work out with that? So Luisa rise, rise is going to make... About $11 million this year. $11 million this year. It's going to go up to about 20 next year in his final year of arbitration, give or take. Because that's, well, that's about the, the escalation it goes up in arbitration. Nobody's saying what payroll is going to be next year. We're talking about this year. So next year, maybe it goes up. I'm, I think I'm we have told- a pretty good idea what payroll is going to be next year. I know. I can't even say that with a straight face. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, the, 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 so you're giving up a, a league minimum contract for an $11 million contract. So that would put you at $129 million dollars. With a hundred and let's say one hundred and forty-five cap, that gives you sixteen million dollars more. So Blake Snell, probably not, well, probably not. But you do have some depth at that point, though, with Anthony Desclafani and Austin Voth. So, so let's do it. Okay, let's do this again. Trade for a rise. Get rid of Desclafani, like we said on the last episode. Say whoever trades for him, we don't want anything back. You can just take him if you take on most of the money, even if it's not all 12 million bucks or whatever. Is it 12 or 13? 12. Okay. So if you take on nine or 10 million of that deal, you can just have him. And then they sign Blake Snell that way. How about that as a couple of roster moves? Hmm. I kind of like that. I kind of like that because it would be essentially cash neutral if you traded for a rise and traded Desclafani away. Now you'd have to find a suitor and people some people left a note in our comments on YouTube. I do think if you traded Descalfani, you might have to add throw a prospect in there to get them to take on some of that money. It wouldn't have to be a blue chip prospect. It would not have to be any of your shortstop prospects, but you would have to throw somebody in there to make it worth their time. Okay. So off the top of my head, Alberto Rodriguez. Someone and- from eight to fifteen. Okay. Yeah. Well, that would still be worth it, especially if you were going to get Louisa Rise and Blake Snell. So I would do that. I think if I were the Mariners, 
Well, first off, you have to at least call. And if you're the Mariners, what are you still looking at? What did Justin Hollander say? We still need to add an infielder. If that infielder's added, we know it's either going to be a second baseman or a third baseman. Those are the weak links right now. And if it's a second baseman, then Rojas and Urias platoon at third base, a spot where they've both played plenty of. What does Luis Arise do? He plays second base. So that makes a lot of sense. I would pick up the phone if I were the Mariners, see what they're looking for. And if it costs a young starter, if you've still got a real chance to get Blake Snell, whoo, we're going to do it again, TJ. I've just decided on the fly. We're doing another hypothetical lineup here on this podcast. So how do you like a lineup of Luis Arise at one, Julio at two. This gets a little interesting because JP is going to have to hit somewhere else. But Julio at two, you have Cal at three. Garver at four. I'll say Rayleigh at five, JP at six, something like that. Maybe JP at five, Rayleigh at six. Then you have. Do you hit JP higher? Well, but he's not like a power, power guy. I mean, I guess WRC plus says otherwise. Do you need to be a power hitter? Yeah, I guess not. I mean, WRC plus says otherwise, right? Okay. Let's, let's, let's scrap that. Do this again. Arise at one, JP at two. Sure. Julio at three, Cal at four, Garver at five. Rayleigh at six, Ty at seven, um, Rojas or Urias would hit ninth. Oh, oh and then Mitch Hanniger would hit eighth. Mitch or, or Dom Canzone. I like I, it. I kind of like that. Kind of like it. <laughs> I like that lineup a lot. Wait, did I get all the outfielders in that? Because I had Julio in there. I had Mitch in there. Did I get all the outfielders? Or am I missing I so. a spot? Yeah, maybe Julio? I did. Julio, Mitch. Yeah. Rayleigh. Oh, Rayleigh. Right. Okay. We got it. We got it. Yeah. JP WRC plus over 130 last year. There's no reason he can't hit in the two spot of a lineup just because he doesn't hit a ton of home runs like some other guys do. Doesn't mean he's not an impactful hitter. That's the great thing about modern baseball nowadays. So you want to hit a rise at one, JP at two, Julio at three. Yes. Yeah, sign me up for that. Just think of the ultimate combination there at the top. Luis Arise is not a guy who's going to walk a lot. But the thing is, he like balances a 5% walk rate also with a 5% strikeout rate and extreme contact rate. This dude makes so much contact. You might look, oh, well, TJ doesn't really hit the ball that hard. He doesn't need to because you don't need to hit the ball the hardest. You just need to hit it in the right spots. We're talking about perfect combination of exit velocity and launch angle and direction. Larissa Arise has that down. Oh, you want a ball hit over the shortstop's head? Done. You want a ball grounded up the middle? Done. You want a ball tucked down the right field line? Done. Yep. Got that. That's fine. And then right in front of JP and his improved power stroke. And then, well, do we even need to say anything about Julio, Cal, and Mitch? Sure. There we go. That works. Table setters. We have a table setter with the bat, table setter with the eye, and then masher, masher, masher. Run producing. Bunch right there. That sounds great. And just to clarify, TJ means Mitch Garver. Yeah, that's going to be a struggle for everybody this year to just separate Hanniger and Garver because everybody's just used to calling Mitch Hanniger Mitch. Anyway, Luis Arise was so built to play 40 years ago. I almost think it's hilarious he's playing in today's day and age and thriving because he's such an old school player. He, he, he is the perfect, perfect guy to be playing back in the 1980s when batting average was everything and contact was everything. Nobody cared about walk rate back then. Nobody cared about... WRC plus obviously back then. Although it's funny I say that. I say I say Arise is such an old school player as if he 
wasn't putting up a high weighted runs created plus. He still was. He was over 130 the last two years. So all the contact hitting he does still leads to a ton of offensive production. Hence why he makes a lot of sense for the Mariners. A whole lot of sense. And you have the pieces to trade for him and the production you would lose in the starting rotation, you would hopefully make up in the lineup and it would make you overall a more balanced team. You would not only go more towards your contact approach, but it does not limit the damage as well. It's great. It's affordable. I don't know many teams if the price is going to stay the same for Luis Arise that could actually swing a trade like this, unless the Twins just want to trade Pablo Lopez back. And even if the Mariners were to trade an arm, let's say it again, you could make up for it by signing Blake Snell. Thank you. I'm just saying, you could absolutely do that. Now, I should point out, I think we have to at least identify some of the weaknesses of Arise we have to at least acknowledge he's a really bad defender, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not an issue. He hit, he hits a lot. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, hopefully Perry Hill will just work with him. And, it, and even if he's not playing gold glove defense, it, hope, you know, if he even got back to league average defense at second base, yeah, you take it with the yeah. bat. He's still a three and a half, four win guy. His range stinks, but DRS thinks he's actually an above average defender or probably about average. I'd say plus fours in the average range. So like, okay. yeah, Okay. So yeah, I guess outs above average doesn't like him because of his range. I never know. Maybe OAA is the better stat to use for outfielders and DRS is the better one to use for infielders. Maybe I, you'd like still- both, but the Mariners are not trading for Luis Arise for him to play a spectacular defense at second. And no. I believe he plays him first as well. If they need him to. Yeah, he probably would, especially if Ty France needs a day off. Luke Rayleigh can play first, too. But yeah, if you need a rise to play first, he could play first. They should do it. I don't know what it's really going to cost. I'm not sure a rise really gets traded in the end. This could end up being nothing, saying, oh, we'll listen to offers, and the Marlins don't move them. But if he was really out there, yeah, I'd, I'd go do it in a heartbeat. I'm wondering what Luis Arise's reaction would be when he finds out the Mariners don't want to pay him $20 million next year in arbitration. Because fun fact, Luis Arise has gone to arbitration with the Marlins twice because they haven't been able to agree on any a number either of his two seasons in Miami. And I would imagine that doesn't leave a great taste in his mouth when the franchise that trades for him is like, yeah, actually, you're not worth enough money. And he's going from one cheap franchise to another slightly less cheap franchise. So don't set your expectations too high there, Luis. But we will say he's not a guy you have to worry about regarding the T-Mobile Park factor because players like Teoscar Hernandez, who rely on power, affected him last year. Singles play anywhere. So who cares where Luis arrives is hitting baseballs? He played in Minnesota. He can hit in Seattle. It's fine with me. He would... He would fit right in. So now when the Marlins, Lyle, say everyone's available, is there anyone else you're looking at? There has to be. There's two guys specifically I'm looking at because what do the Mariners still need when you look at bats? Second base, third base. I'll start with the less realistic one. We can spend a minute or two on him. The first guy is Jake Berger, another guy who just mashes, hit over 30 bombs last year. Doesn't play great defense at third base, but we'll circle back to it again. The Mariners are looking for offense at this point. If they're trading for these guys, it's for their bat. And while Berger doesn't walk a whole lot and the strikeouts can get up there, power is power. And he hits the ball with serious authority. So I don't know if the Marlins would trade him or not because they just traded for him. But they say everybody but Yuri Perez. Everybody but Yuri Perez includes Jake Berger. It'd be interesting. They did 
and they traded a not so insignificant piece to get him. They traded Jake Eater. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I would be kind of shocked if he was actually dealt in that place. They might listen, but unless you're getting Jake Eater back, I don't know why the Marlins would do that, especially if they were already saying, yeah, well, you know, we'll get a young guy in here. Let's trade another young guy away for, even though we just traded a premium prospect for it. And then yeah. Jazz Chisholm too, Lyle. That's the more intriguing one. I was just going to say to wrap up on Jake Berger, he is not a free agent until 2029. So that would probably be a tough trade to swing. It'd be great, but tough. I think Jazz Chisholm is a much more interesting and much more potentially realistic one. Look, he played the outfield this year for the Marlins because they needed him to, and he learned it on the fly. He is a second baseman. If the Mariners were to trade for Jazz Chisholm, he'd play second base. Slide right in. Would make a lot of sense. He'd probably cost a lot less than Berger. He'd cost less than a rise. And it's a guy that would certainly make a lot of sense for this team. You know what the Mariners need, Lyle? They need swag. They Mm -hmm. need flash. They need flair. Not saying there's not any already, but they want to become the swaggiest team in baseball. This is your guy. This is him. They say this guy's him. Jazz Chisholm is him when it comes to this. I want the glasses. I want the chains. I want the bat flips. I want the trash talk. I want all of it. Is he dyeing his hair teal too? Ooh. Don't tempt me. That would be pretty sick. I would be all for a dyed teal hair version of Jazz Chisholm. The only thing is he is super swaggy. However, he doesn't always get the chance to display it because he's not always on the field that much. He's battled a lot of injuries. That's a that's a risk. How many years of control does he have? Jazz has, I swore I, oh, he has three. He has three hmm. years of control compared to two for a rise. So hmm. he is club controllable. You would have him for an extended amount of time. And again, he makes a lot of sense. He fits an area of need. The only thing is then you have... Mitch Garver, Mitch Haniger, and Jazz Chisholm all being relied upon to produce when all those guys get injured very, very often. Now, look, when Jazz is playing, he's really good. 2022, he lit the world on fire. He put up a 136 WRC+. The start he got off to was nuts. And last year, he came back down to earth, but you know what? He was still above average. He was at 103. But Jazz Chisholm is still an upgrade at second base, especially if you can buy... If he is, if he can be somewhere between 2022 and 2023, another guy where again he'll probably cost less than a rise. So I would, I would call Peter Bendix, the new GM of the Marlins, and pick up the phone on him too. And you remember, the, there's a reason that that offense might have gone down. The Marlins asked Jazz to play center last mm-hmm. year, yeah. and when you're learning a new position, it's a little, bit, a little bit harder to focus on hitting. So, but he did do it. He's actually okay in center field. I think Jazz would make a lot of sense. I think we circled on that. I think we circled Jazz Chisholm last year because we thought there was a chance he could get traded. The Marlins are really listening to offers. Like, would Jazz Chisholm cost one of your starters, or could you just package some prospects for him? I don't think he would cost a starter. I think the prospects. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would think long and hard about that one because then all of a sudden, just depends what the Marlins want. We can't. The Marlins don't care about winning. That's clear. So that makes judging what the value of a trade would be with them 
a little bit different than some other franchises. Right. I will also warn anybody listening, Jazz is another guy that strikes out a lot. So the Mariners may have some strikeouts in their lineup again. But again, you think he's going to be a productive player, play good defense, and be able to hit and hit pretty well at second base. You do it, especially if it's not going to cost big leaguers or significant big leaguers. Okay. Well, the Marlins are essentially up for sale, Lyle, and it's up to First Avenue. What's the ownership group? First Avenue Entertainment, LLP. Make it happen. It's 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 an option. I I will say okay. So we have the two uh, the two most most realistic uh, realistic options: Arise and Chisholm. Yeah, one doesn't strike out. One does strike out. Both bring offensive upside. Both will be expensive by the time they make it to free agency. So teach their own. Luis will be more expensive. Jazz would be more affordable, more risky though. So mm-hmm. that's it. But thanks to the Marlins for uh, giving us some content. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Hopefully they can give us some more <laughs> if they actually pull off one of these trades. That'd be awesome. We'll see. Uh, we mentioned I, I mentioned earlier in the episode, there's still a move coming. There, there has to be one more move coming, I would imagine. Otherwise, people are going to be pissed. Mm-hmm. There is still all of that money remaining in the budget. Something's going to happen. A move from Arise would fit there. A move for Jazz Chisholm would fit there. Said Blake Snell, that would fit there too. There's still the options there, which is nice. I Let's agree. see what happens. See what happens. Can't wait. Before we get to speak your mind, let's hear a word from our friends over at Simply Seattle. If you're a fan of any Seattle sports team, Simply Seattle is your place to go for all the best gear. They have shirts, they have hoodies, they have hats, they have all all the good stuff. So if you want to go check it out, if you're a fan of the Kraken, Seahawks, Mariners, Huskies, Sonics, go check them out at simplyseattle.com and you can use our code. Marine 15 for 15% off your order. Again, that is code Marine 15 for 15% off your order at simplyseattle.com. If you want all the best Pacific Northwest gear to line your closet in this new year of 2024. Let's get to speak your mind. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. All right, Lyle, what's on your mind? Well, I feel like we've got to circle back to Kalen DeBoer. We left off on quite the note the last time we recorded a Speak Your Mind. He hadn't been hired at Alabama yet. Now he has been. So I feel like we at least have to touch on it, right? I feel like we have to. Okay, let's set the stage here. TJ has talked a lot about Kalen DeBoer. It just happens to not be on this very platform. When TJ is not sitting here recording the Marine Layer pod, he is on 1240 KJO radio talking about Kalen DeBoer all week because that's the storyline in Pac-12 country right now. Well, soon to be Big Ten country. Anyway, I will relay what I haven't yet got to relay, and TJ can chime in whatever thoughts he's already given on local airwaves in Corvallis and reiterate them here. I will say it is very – oh, go ahead. Did you, did you want to say something first? I was gonna, let me just set the scene here for myself. You know that meme with the dominoes, the small dominoes to the big dominoes? Mm-hmm. Who knew that the little domino was Nick Saban and everything else that follows after it? Can I one-up you? Sure. Think of the domino effect from the no call of that pass interference in the ASU-UW game. Mm. Does Kalen DeBoer mm. have this job if that PI gets called? He might, 
He wouldn't have been a, as big a favorite though. I, so I think he I, was number. I think he was the number one option. But he would. He might not have been the number one option if that thing gets called. There, and there was a couple other things too. I mean, there was the fake against Wazoo, et cetera. The, all the little plays in UW season that could have that could have led to that. But you know, there's a quite a quite a domino effect. I I don't know if Husky fans would have preferred that or not. I don't know. I I'm trying to think because. I don't know. Like, was DeBoer really the first option? Didn't it feel like Lanning and Sark were ahead of him? They were quote unquote ahead of him. Now you know that they all have the same agent. We talked about this last week, correct? And what does a good agent do? He he can manipulate things to make uh, things seem as they make things seem certain, but aren't actually. Mm-hmm. It's very possible that Dan Lanning and Steve Sarkeesian were never the first options, and it all it always was Kalen DeBoer. Mm-hmm. It, it could have been Greg Byrne might have thought that Kalen DeBoer was his best guy. He's like, hey, look at him coaching. Now let's give him the recruiting resources that he doesn't have at Washington that Dan Lanning has and that Steve Sarkeesian already has, and see what they've done with it. And well, Kalen's managed to be undefeated against the both of them, despite the fact he doesn't have those resources. Now let's give him those resources. And it's all a ploy. It's like, okay, Greg Byrne, hold on, hold on here a second. Caleb DeBoer is your guy. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him to you. But let me tell the Ducks that Dan Lanning's number one. Let me tell. Let me go over to Phil Knight and say, hey, by the way, your guy is you know, Alabama's eyeing him. You're going to have to pay him more. Oh, pay him more. Great, great. More money for me too. And then I go over to Texas. I don't know who the Texas president is or the chancellor. I think they have a chancellor. Go up to him and say, hey, look, Steve Sarkeesian is the number one. Number one option at Alabama. He's like, oh, I don't want to lose Steve, Steve Sarkeesian. We just went to the playoff. Well, I got to give him a pay raise too. And now Jimmy Sexton goes back to Greg Byrne at Alabama. Is like, okay, now all my business is taken care of. Oh, Mike Norvell too. He represents Mike Norvell. That that happened as well. That, mm-hmm. that one was public. And now he goes back to Kalen DeBoer. Like, all right, Kalen, now's the time. Now we go interview. Look what happened. My other takeaway from all this is, again, like when we recorded last week, I really thought there was a chance he was going to stay at Washington because he was scheduled to go on the airwaves, on the radio, on, with, uh, on KJR on that Friday morning. Then it got canceled. I thought that UW was somehow going to work through an extension with him. But then we find out after he had already taken the job and in the last few days, people seem to think he'd been eyeing this thing since November. Like he must have had word that Saban was probably going to retire. He seems like he's like, I figure this all really came together in the last couple of days. And Kalen started to think to himself, oh, I got to make a quick life changing decision here in the matter of hours. No, it sounds like he's been thinking about this for a while. I know I from what I read, UW got all the way up to ten and a half million dollars on their extension, which for a former Pac-12 soon to be Big Ten team is an insane amount of money. The only school that pays ten million dollars for a coach in the West on the West Coast is USC. That's mm-hmm. it. And no offense to Washington, they've had more success than USC the last decade. They're not USC. They don't have that kind of money. Mm-hmm. So the fact they offered Kalen DeBoer $10.5 million and he told them no, that gave the UWAD everything he needed to know. Like he was on Brock and Saul yesterday and he said, we put a very good contract offer. And when I hear very good, I think that means at least nine in front of him in, in November. And Kalen said, didn't sign it. It's like, hmm. Well, I'm not, I don't feel good about this. And he's like, then I started looking, started canvassing on what, what could be available. Do you know the saddest thing of all of this with Kalen DeBoer? Hmm. 
So he goes to Alabama. He'll be there until they either run him out or he wins an Addy. Those are the two options. There's nothing in between. That UW, at this point, has to settle for someone they know won't be there longer than two years. That's what it's come down to. They know Jed Fish is going to be there two years max. The contract is structured like that. Uh, all the all the writing on the wall suggests he's either going to go to Florida or the NFL in, by, in two, within two years. Mm-hmm. And when he was asked in his press conference yesterday on Tuesday, hey, are you going to be here long term? He didn't say yes. And they no. know that. And like that, but that, but like that's the state because that UW realizes how hard it is to keep someone there, even with the money. Yeah, Sad. No, it, it's true. Maybe Fish ends up being there a little bit longer than two years, but it does seem like he has his sights set on in somewhat of the short term going to the NFL, and this is going to be be a springboard. And you so. remember, you know where he graduated college. He went to Florida, right? And yeah. who's on the hot seat right now? Oh yeah, I'd say Billy Napier's on the hot seat. Mm-hmm. So, so and when Florida comes calling, I don't think it's going to be that hard of a decision for Jedfish being like, so should I recruit Southern kids to Seattle or do I just go back go to the South? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's always true. an option. It's, I think the main message that the Kalen DeBoer and Jedfish thing has brought me over this week is that it just like it sucks. Uh, like people complain about the players moving around so much, but like it really all comes down to the coaches, right? Yeah. How transactional it is like, like, Oh, the players don't have contracts. This is, this is too, like, it's too like freeing everywhere. Meanwhile, like we have acting head coaches under multi-year deals getting poached by different schools. Mm-hmm. Like when the Michigan job comes open, Michigan could hire whoever they want from any school in the country outside of the South and just poach them. Even if they're under contract for another 10 seasons, you want to come here? You're ours. Boom. Done. And that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's a feeding frenzy. And I come to think of like how, if you're a young fan of college football, how do you grow up to like attach to anything? Like you and I grew up with the Legion of Boom and Russell Wilson. We could attach to them. We had players we loved watching year after year that just like grew our interest in the sport. And grew you, our fandom. You can, and I was, was going to say, with you college can, football, you don't. You're not going to get that. You won't get that with a coach, and you won't get with that with a player now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say you can throw in Felix and Ichiro in there too mm-hmm. if you want to use the baseball sense of things. Grew up loving them and watching them. Yeah, you you can't get it with college football. Coaches leave, players leave. I know guys are only there three to four years player wise anyway, but it's still the same concept applies where it's just this constant turnstile. At every school. So it makes it impossible to hold on to kind of anything. It, like it's just what like just coming back to like the head coach thing again, like just let me go like let me put this clear. In the NFL, if a coach is under contract, they do not get poached because mm-hmm. you'd have to trade for their contract. Like there are rules against that. There's nothing of the sort in college football. It does not matter if you have ink dry on another dedicating yourself to another school. It literally doesn't matter. Like contracts do not matter. Your your direct deposit hits, and that's it. If someone else wants you, you go. <laughs> How broken is that, man? It's it stinks. Again, we're just heading down towards a path of of uncertainty and realignment, and um, it's 
it's going to be a very wacky five years of college football. I mean, I don't even know if the expanded playoff in its current set with the current conferences makes it through. I like, I really don't think so. I think it's changing too fast. I think the money's too big. I think there are going to be enough uncomfortable schools and other conferences like Florida state that don't want the status quo to remain. And they're going to do whatever they can to break it. And again, I've t- I mentioned on here, like once Florida state breaks out of the ACC, then it's going to be a bloodbath mm-hmm. is what it is because that would set precedent for Clemson to leave Miami to leave as well. All those other ACC schools would be gone. And then what if, you know, that precedent is set for big 10 and sec schools that don't want to fund the likes of Indiana, Purdue, Vanderbilt, et cetera, yeah. Missouri. Like they're yeah. like, sorry, we just don't want to really share with you anymore. Mm-hmm. And that stuff happens. Here's one last conspiracy I will share. I'm kind of owning your uh, your speak your mind here. Yeah, but I've, already, I've already I've already talked about this so much this week, so I might as well wrap up my thoughts. So, did you see what the the news that came out with ESPN and the NFL this week? Y'all have to remind me. Yeah, this is turning into the Joe Beaver show here. That the NFL is going to buy a stake in ESPN. Oh, are they? Okay. Mm-hmm. So without all the complications of how what happens with the league there, what I think of this in one step there. So Chip Kelly came out and said he thinks the best structure for college football in the future is that an NFL owner buys two college football teams. All 32 owners buy two teams. There's 64 teams in a feeder league below, below the NFL. And that would essentially encompass the Power Five schools, those schools directly underneath the NFL. Well, what is the first step to having that happen? Well, another question to you, Lyle, who is responsible for the SEC having as much money as they do right now? Yeah, it's the TV networks. It's ESPN. Well, yeah, it's more specifically ESPN. And if ESPN is owned by the NFL and the SEC is the most prominent league in the NFL, then you see where this is going. Mm-hmm. They own the they own the major cash cow, the SEC, and then all of a sudden it's the NFL directly funding the SEC. And then what if the NFL decides, hmm, well, wait, let's do the same for Ohio State and Michigan. And then it keeps going, and it keeps going, and then it gets to this wonderful term that I learned this week called vertical integration. Have you heard of that? No. Vertical integration is when a corporation owns every step of its manufacturing process. So that would be a company owning the materials, the the where where the materials are sourced, the delivery, the manufacturing in the factory, the online selling, the distribution, etc. all of the steps of its product. It owns all of it. So it's essentially like creating a monopoly of your product. And that's essentially what the NFL would do. It's like, "Hey, listen, we're going to essentially funnel, we're going to use the entire model of how we get players to this league and monetize the whole thing and stuff it all into our pockets. Sounds like a win, to be honest. And yeah. then maybe we get the, uh, the sort of Premier League model kind of with relegation. We could do that. We could break up the, the minor league, the minor league college teams into different tiers and promote and relegate them with an actual governing board. Hmm. Yeah, it's a lot to think about. There's a whole lot to think about. Um, man, this went from Kalen DeBoer to ESPN is about to control the entire state of amateur and professional football. That doesn't sound fun, but maybe where we're heading, huh? 
Well, it makes people a lot of money, and I think I think that's really all they care about. Yes. But it really I think the Kalen DeBoer thing, Lyle, it really just highlights just how in unequal college football is. And it just it, it, it continues to show how um just it, it it's not fair for schools. The fact that a school can offer ten million dollars to a coach and it's not good enough to no. stay. Like oh. seriously, uh, ten million dollars and a guy under contract, it's like, nope, sorry, I'm gonna go somewhere else. Yeah. How is that how is that a balanced logical sport? It's not. No. Also, loyalty isn't real either because money can poach you away from anything. It all comes right. back to money. Always. Right. So, and, right. I mean, you, you, you and you I saw, can both be bought. Like, UW players were pissed off and they had every right to be, but this is what it all comes down to. And it's the same with every coach at every school that might have a chance to move up. This is what happens. And then it creates this whole turnstile of guys in the transfer portal and everything. Yeah. It's in a it's in a crazy spot. Like you said, these five years will be nuts. If you want one other thing, that's on my speak your mind before we turn it over to you. Not like a whole New York update or anything, but as we sit and record this podcast, just before that, if you want to know what I'm up to in good old Manhattan, I met up for the first time with friend of the pod, Giraffe Neck Mark, who was back on with us in April. So that was pretty fun. If you want to know what one of the biggest baseball YouTubers in the world is like, well, he's just like the rest of us. We sat there, had a few drinks, and talked about baseball for about three hours. So it was it was a blast. I'm glad I finally got to meet him. And yeah, I, I figured that's kind of how he'd be, but I'm glad it was very, very much how I expected. So in case you wanted just a tiny little mini update on what am I up to in New York these days? I just did that's that. That's good. I loved yeah. having Mark on. We're going to have to have him back on once the season gets underway. He is He's awesome. I'm glad you got to meet him. I hopefully sometime... In the future, we'll get to meet him in person. Yeah. So he said he hasn't been to spring training in Arizona in a couple of years now, but he said he's planning to go back this year. And he said he actually goes usually around that early March time. I don't even know if I told mm-hmm. you this before we started recording it. So there's a chance we're all oh, there at the same time. Breaking so news cool. on the podcast. Yeah. So I don't oh. know if it's going to for sure ex- be exactly when we're there, but it sounds like there's a chance. And yeah, maybe we'd all be in uh, in Peoria hanging out together. So that'd be pretty fun. Mm. I, I, li- I guess I, I like the sound of that. Yeah, I didn't realize, like, obviously Mark's really big, and he's one of baseball's biggest YouTubers, but I didn't realize he's one of the, like, four true original baseball YouTube creators that really got big. Like, the, the, the true original four before more started to form. It was him, it was Fuzzy, it was um, Foolish, and it was John Boy. So, like, those were, like, the first true four to really take on a real following. So, so that's cool. Yeah, like, just something else I learned about him today when pretty cool talk with him so yeah it was cool we will definitely have to have him back on yeah he was a great guest whether it be during like before the Mets series or just another time he wants to you know shoot the breeze about baseball yeah for sure and and honestly that was back in April when between then and now we've probably picked up a fair amount of new listeners so a lot of people might not have heard that interview with Mark but yeah we'll have to have him on again so people can hear him my speaker mind is uh, significantly more boring it's okay. not like fully in in line with my New Year's resolution to style a little bit better. By the way, you know, after work style doesn't count of uh, of my New Year's resolution because it is yeah. currently ten oh six locally on the on the, the Pacific time zone. I'm not going to dress up no. uh, for for this, but I bought some uh, I bought some glasses, some blue light glasses. So they they also uh, will benefit my eyes, thankfully, because in case you or living under a rock and you weren't here in the Pacific Northwest. There was a lot of uh, cold weather and specifically here in Oregon 
ice. So I couldn't leave my apartment and I you know, was watching TV all day and my eyes felt like they were like burning a hole in the back of my head. And I'm like, you know what? I need these. But, you know, I also think I'll kind of look good. So I used to I, wear glasses. I used to be a big glasses wearer. And then I haven't I haven't since like sixth or seventh grade. And now uh, now I'm now they're getting a roaring comeback. I, I didn't know you wore glasses. Huh. No, I do wore you, a lot of glasses. Yeah, I wore bifocals. Do you do you still wear contacts? Nope. Oh. Don't need huh. them. Oh, so your vision just got better, I guess. I don't know. That's what I like to tell myself. Okay. <laughs> I don't actually, I, I always felt like I could see fine without them. And then I was like, all right, so you should be good. Yeah, That's fine. Actually, but I'm excited for them to make yeah. a comeback. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. No, yeah. I mean... Uh, would you ever wear them on the podcast is the true question oh i would i mean i'm staring at a screen right now certainly helps all right you you know what blue light glasses are do you Uh, yeah i mean i mean they're for screen time right right yeah because like screens unless you set it because they're like apple has their nighttime settings where they'll take Mm -hmm. the blue light out or some of the blue light out so it has this yellowish hue which i can see on my screen right now but you know, it's 2024 now, so most people, especially people our age, will spend most of their day either working or not working, staring at a screen. So I would like to try and balance that and keep my eyes a little bit healthier and hopefully keep some headaches away. So, and again, I think it would look it would look a little bit better at a, at a little bit of variation to my uh, to my facial look. So it's good. I'm excited. I'm excited right. to see how it uh, see how it'll look. So not quite as exciting, but I guess these are the things you get to look forward to when you're an adult. Hey, it's the little things, right? It is. Yeah, it's it's the little things. Well, you want to potentially see TJ in the future wearing glasses on the podcast? There's your sign to watch on YouTube. When is he going to do it? You're just going to have to keep tuning in on YouTube to find out, won't you? Mm, I like that idea, Lyle. Okay, that'll just about wrap it up for this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. You want to listen to the full form pod, you can do so wherever you get your audio podcast. Make sure to download. Make sure to leave us that five-star review. Follow the show. Those downloads and reviews help out a ton. So just take a few extra seconds and do that. Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube too, where our full video podcast is. Another thing that helps us out big time. Then check us out on social media where we're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.